Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. My name is Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it is good to see you, literally to see you, because yes. we are in the same room, yeah. and that's a rarity. Yeah. yeah. Usually I just get to see your, your face yeah, on the screen. Yeah, my visuality, yeah, on, on the screen, but it's good to see you. And we have a great guest here today. Th that's why Also I, in the living flesh. Yes, <laughs> exactly, which is, which is what prompted me to pack up all the stuff and come and be here in person, um, because we've got with us Monsignor Thomas Powers. And so Monsignor Powers is the rector of the Pontifical North American College in Rome. A native son of our diocese, Monsignor Powers grew up in Newtown, attended Immaculate High School, and then went off to the University of Notre Dame. Monsignor Powers uh, is also an alumnus of St. John Fisher Seminary and the Pontifical North American College, the Pontifical Gregorian University, and the John Paul II Pontifical Institute for Marriage and Family. Monsignor Powers' priestly resume includes service to the Holy See in the Congregation for Bishops, Vicar General and Moderator of the Curia for the Diocese of Bridgeport, and Pastor of St. John's in Darien. And Monsignor has been on Let Me Be Frank before, alongside other former Vicars General in our diocese. And he's back today. Monsignor Powers, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. Thank you, Steve. Great to be with you, Bishop. Great to see you and be with you in the same yeah, room. Yeah, it's great to see you, too. Thank you. I must confess, you're the only guest so far that's had a repeat performance. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, great to be back. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is good to see you. And I hear from all accounts that things are going really very well at the North American College, which we're going to get to. Yep. But for those who do not know who... Thomas Powers is, and your the journey that got you to where you are now, to the extent that you're comfortable. Let our listeners get uh, the inside scoop on who is Monsignor Powers. Well, Bishop, yeah, Steve said I grew up in Newtown, and I'm one of five children, three sisters, and a brother who was born 12 years after I was born. So he's, he was the surprise of the family. Mm. Uh, so we uh, we were mom and dad always brought us to mass. We weren't really a pious family, I'd say, but we never missed mass. And I got to say that instilled in me the habit of going to mass every single Sunday. We weren't as kids lined up, you know, 10 minutes in the car early to get, let's get to mass. So, but we, <laughs> we always went. And uh, so when I went off to college at Notre Dame, which is part of the culture there is the students really do attend mass on Sundays. At least they did when I was a student there. I hope it's still the same. But uh, I had that habit of going to mass every single Sunday. And then when I was working after college, Never miss Mass on Sunday. So that was a big part of it. I think just being worshiping every Sunday. And my mom and dad put that in our, our hearts and instilled that in us. So I'm grateful to them for that, that gift. That gift. And uh, so I was open to the idea of priesthood in high school at Immaculate, but was a regular, you know, kid. I played sports, uh, you know, was interested in student and in, in academics and other activities, and uh, but was open to it. And that's what the priests there, the chaplains who were Holy Cross priests, wonderful men. They told all of us young boys, I said, just be open to it. And if God calls you, just don't resist it and, and, and say yes if it, you think you can do that. And now off of Notre Dame, I also went on some retreats that really helped me to kind of finalize that. But I worked for f almost four years after Notre Dame as a financial consultant in New York City. And oddly, or maybe interestingly, that's really when the call solidified. Yeah. I was, well, like you. you yeah, exactly. Right. You worked in New York. and. Yeah. So, I mean, I was doing, uh, you know, financial work, um, World Trade Center, other clients, even in Chicago. And, uh, but during the, that period, I started going to daily mass when I could, couldn't do it every day. And then people started asking if they could come with me. We'd get a lunch, go to, or ha go to mass, have lunch. And I thought, boy, if I can bring people to church in this environment, this setting, maybe this is what God wants me to do for my life. So I really thought about it seriously. 
uh, went off to Puerto Rico through Notre Dame for a year of volunteer work with the poor. And that's when I really thought that God was calling me to be a priest. Didn't know for sure yet, but I was, I was willing at that point to finally say, yes, I'll discern this and take it seriously. And that's my joints joins uh, St. John Fisher, which was then in Trumbull. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's yes. right. That was the original iteration of John the Fisher original before it building. went to Stanford. That's correct. Yes. Wow. So you, you mentioned it's two things that you that resonate. First of all, with my experience, the habit, having the habit. Hmm. Like mo sometimes we have this idea that getting a vocation is an extraordinary bolt of hmm. lightning out of the sky, and you know, like the St. Paul sort of episode. Right. But right. forming the correct habits is really important to the spiritual life. That's right. That's right. right? And we some. Sometimes we've forgotten that in the modern world, mm -hmm. right? And the other is the work. Like, I remember in the seminary when I left, it was almost like a failure, you know? It was almost termed like, oh, so this one is the one who went off the res reservation. And mm -hmm. But I look back on that time working as a blessing. So the fact that you discovered the depth of the vocation while you're working proves that the Lord's everywhere, his grace is everywhere. But given human experience the way it is, it is not an unhealthy thing that you get a taste of what, in the end, the Lord is going to say to you, this is not where you're going to find your happiness and your fulfillment. That's right. That's not wasted time is my point. Exactly right. That's right. right. It was also for me a time when I really realized that this is a radical calling, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is a radical thing to say yes to the priesthood. And um, when I was, I told my superiors and my bosses, I guess we'd call them, um, at, at, at my company, um, I gave them six months notice before leaving, which is plenty of time. The, the project was mm -hmm. going to finish in six months. So it wasn't like I was abandoning anybody. And the next day, the head partner of New York uh, for my division called me downtown. I didn't know him well, but he knew me uh, or of me. And uh, he was shocked that I was leaving this, this firm, a very big firm, very notable firm and uh, could not fit in his brilliant brain why this young man was leaving this to go help the poor in Puerto Rico. And, he, and I, I pray for him every day because he's, he was a good man, but he, 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 everything in his life fit, in his engineering, financial mind, everything fit, but this did not fit. Right. And so I realized this is, this is now, when you say yes to the Lord, as he says in the gospel, it's really gonna be right. uh, earth, earth shattering to some. Did you keep in touch after? A little bit, but not too long afterwards, yeah. Yeah, so I wonder to myself, you laid a seed. I wonder where that blossomed and how I it blossomed in that wish man's I knew life. That. I Isn't wish I knew interesting? that. Yes. But God does. That's right. God, God, does. God does. So it's it. now you are the chief formator as rector mm -hmm. of what we could say is our nation's seminary mm -hmm. in Rome. In Rome. So Pontifical North American College. What is it? Like, give us the, what is this? institution that you had. <laughs> yeah, ma many do not know about it, but when they come and see it and meet our men and see the impressive, majestic building, they, they fall in love with it. It's an amazing place. But w what's the story? So the Pontifical North American College is a pontifical college, obviously, um, founded at the request of Pius, Pope Pius IX. So the Pope asked for it. The Pope asked for it. So there were okay. other national seminaries in Rome, the English College, the Scots College, the French college, mm -hmm. and uh, the Pope sent a, uh, a cardinal, Cardinal uh, Gaetano Bedini, to the United States, which you know, Bishop, was mission territory. Yes, it was. So the United sure. States was, in 1859 was mission territory. So in the 1850s, he came over, got a, the lay of the land, and, and realized that there was a real dearth of seminary formation here in the States, and that men needed better formation to become priests. 
And he also wanted, um, the Pope wanted men to come to Rome to, to study and live in the heart of the church, near the Holy Father, near the tomb of St. Peter, and soak up all that Rome offers, and then come back to the United States and as a unified body to teach the fullness of the truth and the faith. And so it made sense. So, so that was a request of Pope Pius IX. The American bishops then discussed it. And of course, as you can imagine, being a bishop, there was a lot of discussion. There were some pros, some con. A discussion among bishops? <laughs> no. <laughs> Tell me that's not the case. <laughs> but in the end, they, they agreed and, and conceded to the Pope that this is a good idea. And the Pope had actually, or uh, Cardinal Gaetano had um, really nine reasons why we had to have a, a seminary in Rome. Is that right? Yep. There were nine reasons he spelled out for the Pope. And you know, one was just that we needed better formation for priests, uh, and we needed priests that were unified in the faith. But some was just that have American Catholics. You know, this was part of the time of the Know Nothing Party, and there was a lot of anti-Catholicism. So it was a place where Catholics could be proud, and also, believe it or not, he wanted a place for American pilgrims to be able to visit, which all, all the nine reasons still exist today. Um, so the bishops agreed, and they they were given a property that's got an amazing history right by the Trevi Fountain and Via del Umilta, where you lived there. I lived. It's now called the Casa Santa Maria, which is our That's right. graduate the house. Via del Umilta. Via del Umilta, number 30. Yeah. <laughs> Great history. That was a, a 16th century uh, convent that had Dominican nuns and visitation nuns, and the, the French troops took it over twice. So a um, wild history. But they, then in 1859, the first 12 North Americans and Nord Americani, as they called them, moved in. And that was the foundation of our of our seminary, December 8th, 1859, was the foundation. So how old is the seminary now? It's 100 and... So my math is not my strong suit. Almost, one, almost 170. We're uh, to, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, so you're going to do 170th anniversary yeah. soon. So, right. So, so, so the building was uh, served the church very well. And imagine in that building, what because we didn't come up to the current building until 1953. So the building of Villa de Humilta, the original seminary, those guys lived through the Civil War, and we had Southerners, we had Northerners. They lived through the uh, First World War. The unific well, Italy had just been unified. Or the unification it? of Italy, right? Yeah. And the revolution of Italy. The loss of the Papal States. Loss of the Papal States, Vatican I. So mm -hmm. many historic events took place when during that time of the building. Wow, I <clears> they, they outgrew it. Wow. And uh, there was a, a beautiful property overlooking the Vatican on the Janiculum Hill. And so the Holy See wanted the Americans to be on that hill for a variety of reasons. One, for protection. <laughs> One, because they knew the Americans would build something very nice up there. And so the U.S. bishops purchased the land in 1924 uh, that was called the Villa Gabriele, which Napoleon's niece lived there for years in this beautiful villa. I didn't villa. know that. Yes. And so the villa is now our current continuing education program. Oh, I knew that, but I yes. didn't realize it was Napoleon's niece. Yeah, she lived there. She was married to Gabriele. Isn't that fascinating? Right. So beautiful property that was, and then it was a children's hospital, and then the Americans bought it in 1924. But of course, because of World War II, the stock market crash, we couldn't get up there and break ground until 1948. So right now, the current building is 70 years old, 1953. It overlooks the Vatican and St. Peter's, and the other side overlooks the whole city of Rome. It is the best view of the city in Rome. If your heart is healthy enough to climb the hill. <laughs> yeah, Just right. for the record. That's Otherwise, right. you get, you take an there. Uber up the hill. <laughs> right? I recommend Uber. It's it's quite a climb. Yes, it's quite a climb to get up there. Yeah. But a beautiful building, as you know, and just a wonderful, mm -hmm. but a great history. The college really has a rich history. Mm -hmm. um, we're pontifical college, so we're not like seminaries back home, as you know. Seminaries here in the States, they do everything in-house. They form men to be priests with their formation sessions. They have all their classes in in the seminary. 
our guys walk off to class half hour every day to the Dominicans, the Jesuits, or Santa Croce, which is Opus Dei. Most go to the Dominicans or, or the Jesuits. Um, so they, so they, that's they, the Angelicum and the Gregorian. That's correct, yeah. So they leave every morning. They, we have 6.15 morning prayer mass, breakfast, and they're off. They walk a half hour to class and then come back around 12.45. So that's unique to Rome. That is, that is why we're a college and not really called a seminary. Um, but it's a, it's a great thing for the guys because they walk in the city of Rome. They help the poor along the way. They help tourists along the way. They're visible wearing their collar. The visibility is clear. Oh, it's amazing. And yeah. I, get, I get calls every other week of someone who says, I saw your seminarians talking to the poor. I saw your seminarians helping pilgrims. I saw your seminarians smiling. And I mean, they're just, the, the men we have are wonderful. Absolutely. Now, the college, where you are now, mm -hmm. is extraterritorial? That's correct. It's so explain to our listeners what that means. So the Vatican, the bishop mentioned earlier, earlier the papal states. So the papal states were, were taken away, but they're still extraterritorial Vatican property. So it's not part of Vatican City State per se, which is the 118-acre walled-in area that has the you know, Pope's residence, mm -hmm. St. Peter's, the gardens. But there's extraterritorial property where all the Vatican laws apply. So for example, our mailing address, if you mail me a letter, it comes to North American College, Vatican City State. Our employees are all working under Vatican labor law. So you, it's almost like going into an embassy. It is. It you is. cross over into That's another great. jurisdiction. When you cross into our front gate, you right. are now on Vatican extraterritorial property. May I property. ask you a question I've always wondered mm -hmm. and, and never got an answer for? Is the Casa Santa Maria extraterritorial or It not? is not, no. It is not. That's Roman. So interestingly, so we have employees, Italian employees that mm -hmm. work at both locations. Mm -hmm. One group is really not as Roman Italian labor law, and, and one is Vatican. Vatican. So we sw we have we can move them around so that it can be all Vatican labor law. That's that's allowed in Italy, but it's very complicated because what happens if a pipe breaks in the Casa Santa Maria uh -huh. in Rome? Mm -hmm. That takes a different jurisdiction and bureaucracy to fix it than if a pipe breaks on the up on the hill. Up on the hill. Yeah, very, very, very different. Thank God you have that job. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I mine was complicated. Nah, it's complicated. <laughs> I've learned a lot in the last year and a half, I'll tell you that. How many employees? I'm curious. We have 68 employees. Wow. Right. Wow. And they do a phenomenal job. These people are so good. They're lovely people. They love their jobs. They work hard. And I can, for example, uh, Cardinal Pierre, the nuncio, became a cardinal back in September. Mm -hmm. And he stayed with us and mm -hmm. he wanted a reception. I said, sure. So we had a 200-person reception. Boom, they can do that with their eyes closed. Oh, yeah. We had a lunch two weeks ago for 300 people from Patrons of the Arts. That was kind of a sudden thing. And they did it with their eyes closed. Is that Monsignor Hogan? Monsignor Hogan, yes. Yes. Yeah. So we, we have a great staff. They, they, the students are, love them. They're, they, they, it's a happy place to work. And mm -hmm. so a lot of benefits to work there, too. You can park your car. You're, it's a happy environment. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. But you know what's interesting? Uh, like in the time when I was at the Casa, which was prehistoric times, and now what you have, what you as your leadership, mm -hmm. I mean, there has been tremendous renovation of the oh, yeah. seminary, hasn't there? Absolutely, yes. A whole new wing was built? Well, tell us about all that. So the building built in 19... Uh, 53 is massive. It was one of the largest post-World War II building projects in Rome for years. Mm -hmm. Massive project. Um, but in 2015, uh, we had a generous family, benefactors, that helped build a new tower because yeah. we did not have a lot of classroom space. So now we have a whole new tower mm -hmm. that's six or seven stories high. And in the tower, we have some three apartments. We've got classrooms, practice chapels. Bishop suite. Bishop suites. <laughs> we've Top got, floor. We've got a, uh, actual, an adoration <laughs> chapel. 
uh, with, uh-huh. with, with with Blessed Sacrament. Yeah. Uh, my office now is down in the tower, the, the first oh, one. The, the tower. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Sure. So the tower has been great, and we use it all the time, every single day. Um, and then we also have a new gym that they put in that's a really top-notch- uh, Oh, I've never visited the gym. I must I've only been there once myself. <laughs> I'm that a may walker. come as a shock to our listeners, but I'm glad <laughs> to know. I'm very happy to know. The gym is phenomenal. <laughs> and the fun thing is, I, last year when I got there, we had a, a kind of a, it's a fun story. Uh, the Brunswick family is a, is a Catholic German family that was the bowling family, the Brunswick bowling. Oh, is that right? Oh, yes. In 1958 or so, they went to Pope John the 23rd and said, we have a bowling alley we'd like to give to you as a gift. And the Pope said, I don't bowl, but there's a new seminary up the hill. And uh, why don't you go see if they want to, you know, have it. So the Brunswick family in the early 1960s put in a two-lane bowling alley in the basement of our seminary. They worked for years, but then it fell out of, you know, repair and was in disrepair. And when I got there last summer, it was basically a storage room was just dusty and it wasn't in use. I thought, you know, this was given to us by a saint and it's it's good for guys. We have a lot of athletes, so there's always guys playing sports on the field, but some guys don't play a lot of sports on the field. So this is a good way to have competition, fraternity. So a, a family very generously helped us restore the bowling alley. And so it's, it, and it, we kept the 1950s, 60s feel, <laughs> the original shields, the original rollback, the original I saw, console. Yeah, I saw the story. It's neat. It's great. It's, it's fun. Great thing. And 2023 technology. Right. And so right, right now, we are in the midst of a house-wide a bowling tournament, single elimination. The faculty, the students, everybody. I lost my first round uh, <laughs> when I before coming back to, to the States. <laughs> I was winning to the ninth frame, and then I rolled the gutter ball. So anyway, <laughs> but, but, but it's fun for the guys now because guys are getting to know each other. They talk. They have fun. It's a great study right. break. So, so yeah, we have a, as you said, we have a wonderful uh, mm-hmm. plant and a wonderful uh, campus. May, may I tell a story? Mm-hmm. My first year in Rome, it's it. What struck me, and of course, my parents were from Italy. My grandmother was in, down in Caggiano. I mean, so I, I had roots in Italy. Obviously, been there many times. But it struck me on Thanksgiving Day, walking from the Casa Santa Maria up to the hill for Thanksgiving meal. Mm-hmm that I was living in a place where they had no idea it was Thanksgiving. That's right. Like completely, the life went on, and it just struck me how, as an American, wanting to hold on to my identity, that we're kind of like an island in a wonderfully cordial world, but it's a different world. That's right. So the fraternity that which you speak is important in all seminary formation, but in Rome in particular, because our listeners, I think you would appreciate, a young man leaves home, leaves his friends, leaves his family, leaves his parents, if his parents are alive, leaves what's comfortable, uh, to go to another culture that in the casa tries to replicate and in the hill tries to replicate some of that, but it's still different. Mm-hmm. So if they don't draw ranks together as brothers, that's right. it becomes that much more difficult to make this huge transition. Is that fair to that's say? That's very fair to say. In fact, you know, you know this, Bishop, that when men come over, uh, to, to our seminary. They don't go back home until after two full years. Yeah, that's a lot. And part of that's because during the summer, they then get a lot of experience. They can go to mm-hmm. India and help Mother Teresa's sisters. They can mm-hmm. stay in Italy and learn Italian. Mm-hmm. They can go study it somewhere else or go to a parish. They, they, get, they come back in the fall really um, having matured and they've done things they can't believe they've done. That, that this is now, yeah. they've really grown up a lot. But also it's to let them, you know, anybody can hang on for a year and just make it through, right? But two years means you have to settle in. You got to, 
you're, all your support systems are gone. You got to rely on Jesus Christ, but also rely on your brothers. And that's what we, we stress over and over again, that you need these brothers, not just now through seminary, mm-hmm. but your whole priesthood. You have to have great fraternity. Mm-hmm. And they take that to heart. Yeah. See, and of course, now with the internet and with uh, cable stations, there's access to some of the programming and and entertainment that's American, even in Italy, obviously. Right. But like in your age, your time, some of that did not exist. So it really was a divorce, right? right? In my time, there was no internet yet until my last year, and I was I didn't I was not on it. It was brand new. But there was one phone on the hallway, and it was across from my room. So of course, I always answered the phone. So I knew the parents better than the guys. And <laughs> yeah. so they'd yeah. say, hey, Tom, how are you doing? This is Mrs. Ricardo. Is John? I know John's out right now, but uh, good talking to you. And then I talked to them for a while. So I had a lot of phone calls because I, my, I would, my room was right across from the phone. But that's how it worked. You had one phone Imagine call. Imagine one phone call for an entire floor. For the entire floor. And you'd go and you'd try. And so Sunday evenings was hard to call home because people are trying to call home. So yeah, but things have changed. Now guys can FaceTime their parents and they can oh, yes. do Zoom calls yeah. and, and very different, which is a great blessing, right? It's a great right. blessing for them. I remember at the Casa, I had to call to get an outside line. We did too. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's right. Amazing. Can you imagine? <laughs> Could you imagine? We'd call down, give the number, and they got the number right about half the time. <laughs> and you'd end up calling somebody else and you didn't want to call. But anyway, yeah, th- times have changed. But now the, the rhythm of life in Rome is, is precious, right? The customs. The, yes, right. right. It is, it is. So this is the time when the Novena to the Immaculate Conception starts. That's right. Just at the end, it was right at the Casa, it was at the Dodici Apostoli, mm-hmm. right? So I, and every year I went religiously, it was the nine days in preparation to the Immaculate Conception and all the ritual and the lighting and how it would grow over time. And the, the it, I look back on that and that was just an amazing experience that you wouldn't have had in the United States. That's exactly right. And that's why Rome really is, you know, you know, Bishop, there's four dimensions of priestly formation. Mm-hmm. And John Paul II established them in Pastores Dabobis in the 90s. It's the human dimension, the spiritual dimension, mm-hmm. the intellectual dimension, and the mm-hmm. pastoral dimension. And I call Rome the fifth dimension. Uh, not the, the group that sang up, up and away back in the 70s, but the fifth dimension is Rome because you can't recreate it in the United States. Yeah. You cannot recreate some of these churches. You cannot recreate the fact that the Pope calls us over to say hello to him and meet him. You cannot recreate uh, some of these beautiful traditions that Rome has that our guys can take part in. Yeah. If I may just elaborate from my perspective, when we say we are the church, many people fall into the mistake to think that it's only in time, mm-hmm. right? And in sp- so that it's only in space, I should say. That is, we who are alive. Rome is in the inevitable facing of the fact that the church extends also through time. So from the apostles right. to now. Because you walk the roads of the martyrs. When I used to, my, my favorite restaurant, you know, it's Cicilia Metella, but mm-hmm. we walk on the yes. Via Api Antica and the Christians were, were, were crucified on that road. That's right. So we don't have that benefit in our country and in many other parts of the world that are the newer part of the church. We're, we're, we're a youngster in the life of the church. Very for 200, young. Right? One of my greatest... The memories and any spiritual moment was when I was a first year man at the North American College and went and saw on the feast day of Philip and James, went to pray at the tomb of Philip and James, the apostles. And I thought, and I, I was overwhelmed because here I am praying right near the apostles' bodies. And I'd never done that before in my life. And of course, Rome is filled with saints and oh martyrs. And- Just like St. Philip Neri, mm-hmm. Saint, was it Francis Xavier, Ignatius Loyola. I mean, just on Catherine the way to Siena, the hill. Right, exactly. Right. right, just walking to school, the guys pass, uh, you know, dozens of martyrs and apostles and saints. And again, you, that, you're right, that, that is, it shows the church is 
transcends through time. Right. But it's a corrective to the mistaken idea that the the vox populi or the census fidelium is just us and it's not just us. It's all of us. Mm-hmm. Right? And and that's a ni- that's a necessary corrective to any narrative going forward for the church because every age has its challenges. Every age has an emphasis, but when you put it all together, it's the whole painting. Right? Exactly. So you go in Rome, you go pray, pray at the tomb of Catherine of Siena. What she went through and what the, what, what Italy was like during that time, right? Right. It, it, we almost pale in comparison. Sure. Well, the Pantheon, the history of the, the Pantheon, Pantheon. Sure. which was, a, was an, a pagan temple and now it, it, became, it, was, to, it was dedicated to, to martyrs of the church. It's a, it was a pagan temple to all gods, the Pantheon, mm-hmm. of course, built around the time of the birth of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And now it's a church with the Eucharist and uh, for all the uh, martyrs, yes. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing place. I think many of our listeners, we've all gone to Rome as tourists, right? And we've all gone as pilgrims, but to actually go as a resident, mm. right? Yes. Very different. Very different. Tremendous. Anyway, yep. We have much more to talk about after the break. Yeah, so cool. So this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking with Monsignor Tom Powers, the rector of the Pontifical North American College, native son of our Diocese of Bridgeport. We'll be right back after the break. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking with his good friend and also rector of the Pontifical North American College, Monsignor Thomas Powers. And to say, a great priest. Yes. Now, having said that, the casa has been renovated. And I last time I was in Rome, I had a little mini tour. And I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm very jealous. So there's a public confession. Because now there are private bathrooms in all the rooms. When I was there, we had the communal bathrooms. 
That's right. Right? Yes. So that's progress. <laughs> a lot of progress. So the Casa has now private bathrooms for all the residents. Is it air conditioned? And, and air conditioning, yes. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a beautiful building. And it's, you know, I again, was born 16, 50 years too 16th late. century building. <laughs> but what's interesting, at the, the hill where our seminarians are, sometimes people say, oh, they must live in luxury. They're in Italy. I said, they do not. They, they, they have no private bathroom. They have no air conditioning. Um, when the new men arrived this past July, it was 108 degrees. The guys from Minnesota looked like they were going to fall over. <laughs> and one guy almost said, I don't think I can make it. I said, don't worry, it gets cooler. But so they don't yeah, live in luxury. It gets cool in November. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be 107 tomorrow. But uh, yeah, it gets warm. But they they, they do not have uh, AC or private bathrooms. I, I have to tell this quick story. I went over to Rome with Dr. Frank Cesario, who is, he's retired president of Assumption College. We were seminarians together. Mm -hmm. And we, we decided to stay at the North American College. Tom, it was August. Oh. We went into the place. Oh my God, I, I'm even afraid to ask how hot it was. So much so that I spent the entire night at the end of the hall with the window open because I thought I was going to die. <laughs> it's tough. It gets very, very hot. Yeah, because it's made of stone and the stone heats up and that's it. It, it does. Yeah. But anyway, there has been some significant change in some of the language. In fact, more than language in the, you you, you mentioned the program for priestly formation. Mm -hmm. um, refinements expansion, whatever you want to call it, that Pope Francis has offered for the church now in the new iteration of the PPF. That's right. That even changes the language of like college seminarians mm -hmm. and major seminarians. So the reason I ask it is we're going to be publishing our posters, you know, for our seminarians, right. and I'm proud of every single one of them. But the language is going to be, people will look at it and say, what are they talking about? So could you give us a little primer on all of that? I'll do my best. So the PPF is the Program of Priestly Formation. Mm -hmm. It's in the sixth edition was published last year and went to effect this past August. And basically it's the Program of Priestly Formation for all the seminaries in the United States um, as, as dictated by or as, as guided by the, the Conference of Bishops. And there's some great things in there, uh, it, but it is new language for us. We're all learning the new language. <clears throat> for example, faculty is now called Formation Team. Um, the students are, we, we stress seminarian, little things like that, but, but we're trying to get all the nomenclature straight. Mm -hmm. But what some of the changes are would be one is that when a man now wants to join the seminary, he starts with what's called a propodeutic year, which is 12 consecutive months. And the way I look at it, it's, it's, it's not an academic year. It's a year of studying the catechism, of just trying to learn how basics of prayer and fraternity and, and just, so these young men, in our society, they've all been, as we have, they've all been swimming in the same filthy aquarium, right, for their whole lives. And they're 18, 19, 20 years old. And I think the propodeutic year, as I see, is almost putting them in a new aquarium with fresh water. Detoxifying. Almost detoxifying. Something. And some of the pro, some of the propodeutic years across the country programs um, actually have, have a cell phone fast, I think, during the week. Yeah, I think St. Charles has that. It's, yeah. You only have your cell phone for a certain amount of time, and that's it. That's right. So just to kind of get new habits of how to live, you know, our nervous system, we were not built to live Correct. the way we live. So just to get a guy to get off the cell phone, maybe get off the, the tablet and just and, and to read, mm -hmm. to, to pray, mm -hmm. to live a life that we're supposed to live as human mm -hmm. beings. So that, that's the propodeutic year, the 12-month program before they even start the the, the seminary. And the, mm -hmm. the next stage is called the discipleship stage. Mm -hmm. And that's two years of studying philosophy. And that is a stress on academics, but also just to becoming a, a disciple of, an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, what does that mean to be a disciple? To follow Jesus, to live like him, to w have his will, to have his desires. 
And the next stage is what we have at the North American College called the configuration stage now. It used to be called major theology or... Yep, right. Right, but now it's called the configuration stage. So it's now past the disciple. Now we are configure, configured to Jesus Christ, and meaning we are to die with him. We are to, uh, to as, he, as he told us, you know, to, to, to suffer with him, uh, to live with him in every way. And so that's the four, that's a four-year program and a very important time for a man really to say, now I want to give my life completely to Jesus Christ as a priest and lay my life down for him and for his people. So it's a very important time, which, which the college is- uh, It's intense. It's very intense. It, again, and it's, it, the guys are great. They have fun, they, they enjoy each other's company, but it's an intense period because you are preparing to lay down your life for sure. the Lord and the church. Sure. And you're studying very much, mm -hmm. it's highly academic, mm -hmm. and they need to study scripture, uh, history, uh, theology, and so that's the stage that I'm in charge of now at the seminary, and that's a very important time. So, the program for priestly formation almost sees that now with this new propedeutic year and the two-year discipleship stage. By the time a guy gets to the North American College or any other seminary for the configuration stage, discernment should be more or less done. Done, like you've discerned and you say, okay, now I right. I, I do believe I'm called to be a priest. I want to be a priest, right. and now. I do the hard work of really being sure. configured to Jesus. You know, the way I, now this could be wrong, so correct me, right? But the way I kind of see it is the discipleship stage is forming the foundation, the spiritual and philosophical formation while you're discerning that if the discernment is I'm not going to be a priest, I'm not being called to be a priest, will make you capable of being a holy Mm -hmm. man in the world, a good father, good husband, right? Exactly right. Right. But once you cross that threshold into configuration, then it's both feet in because now this is the intense preparation to be configured to Christ the priest. Right. That's exactly right. Is that right? That's right. And, and if a guy leaves after any period, he will be a better father, a better husband, exactly. a better Catholic. Right. Because he's, he's had this foundation. Exactly. So, then, so then you get it to the end of that period, then they be, they're ordained deacons, and then that's called something else. To what is So the, the other new language in the uh, PPF is the vocational synthesis stage. So after a man is ordained a deacon, mm -hmm. there's supposed to be a six-month period, not consecutive necessarily, but a six-month period in his home diocese in a parish as a deacon. Um, it's not an evaluative period. It is not even supposed to be a formative period. It's just, I call this getting used to your, your clerical skin. Yes. So now you're yep. a public person in the church, you're a deacon, yep. and you're supposed to get kind of everything settled yeah. from basics like finding doctors and dentists and all that, that you have to do that. Uh, but just to kind of feel what it's like to be a public person in a parish. Because if I may, what's interesting uh, is the presumption is that where you go for this, as a deacon, you will remain as a newly ordained priest. That's a presumption. You'll be there six months and then remain as a priest. So you're settling. It's almost like a mentoring period. Right. Yeah. It is. It is. The now, challenge, of course, is finding the pastors who can be mentors across the country yeah, for this. And, and given the needs of a diocese, it is kind of hard to commit to that time frame mm -hmm. because the needs of the diocese keep changing. And until the numbers of our priests continues to rise, please God, they will, sometimes there's constraint. That's right. You have to kind of move, God forbid somebody gets sick, somebody dies, God forbid. So I, I understand the ideal, it may, it may not always be, not the word practical, it's not the word, achievable. That's right. And so I think we have to be fluid. It's, it's a very yeah. fluid thing. And right now, we're, this is all new to us, right? So we're mm -hmm. all now taking different stages. Every seminary is doing a different thing. Which, but what the, the big takeaway from this new PPF is that um, we're 
say at a, a seminary back home, a man would go for four years and be ordained a deacon in, mm -hmm. in May, let's say, mm -hmm. um, or at the North American College, he'd be ordained at the beginning of his fourth year. Um, now the new PPF calls for four full years of the configuration stage of seminary formation before a man's ordained a deacon. There's other options of doing it three and a half and three and th three quarters. And many seminaries in the States are doing the three and a half model. Yes. So guys will leave the seminary and be ordained deacons probably around Christmas. Yes. And then maybe around June, be ordained priests. Right. Uh, but at but at, at the North American, it's four, it's four full years, right? Or not? Yes, it will be four full years, which I like because the, the church is kind of saying, let's tap the brakes, let's take it slow, let's, right. let's treat every man uniquely. It's not just academics anymore. Right. We're taking the whole, the whole uh, all the dimensions together. Yep. So we're going to wait till all four, that four years are done. So they would leave uh, Rome, be ordained the deacon, and then stay in the parish through this stage and be and become a newly ordained priest. And we may break the stage up. We may break it up three and three. So it doesn't say it has to, has to be consecutive six months. So maybe three months in the summer, come back to us as a fifth year deacon, and that fifth year deacon can be then. We can oh, so explain that to people. Why would someone come back for a fifth year? So it. So we talked earlier about that the seminaries here in the States, they have all their academics in-house. Mm -hmm. So their professors live there, the professors mm -hmm. teach there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Our men go off this, to the universities, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, in Rome. So we don't have a classes in-house. So I cannot go to the Gregorian, the Jesuits, and say, hey, will you please change your academic schedule so right. we can match right. the new PPF? They're, they'd say, right. well, we're very sorry. So, um, so we have to work around that. Um, so in Rome, the men do their degree called an STB in three years, where it takes four years back in the States. Mm -hmm. So it's an accelerated program. So if a man stays for <clears throat> a fifth year, he gets what's called a licensed degree, which is just below a doctorate and he can teach in, in most mm -hmm. Catholic uh, mm -hmm. institutions. Um, and the degree can be in different areas of, of, uh, of church discipline and theology. So we have many of our guys stay for five years for that reason. They have three years is the STB, the degree in theology, and then two years is their SDL. Because right. there's a logic here, and that is you've done half the work for the license already. So if there's a way to complete it, then that, that one year is not just left orphaned, right? You have the right. other year and, and you finish your license. So if a guy stays for only four years, he can either do one year diploma or he can start the license and do one year of the, the two-year license. Yeah, and then to come back, but then after a few years in the parish, it becomes harder and harder to go back to it's what hard. you left. It's hard, and it's hard for bishops to let a guy go. Yeah, it's easier to say, okay, he's he's right. been gone the last four Without years. We'll do one more year. Without a doubt. Now I went. That's interesting. So I had my formation in the United States. So when I went, I had to. They accepted very little of what I had, so I had to do the two years license, and then I stayed for the doctorate or that's the right. ST. So yeah, it was kind of humbling when I went. They basically said, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> <laughs> they handed back. To the, you know how the Greg is. <laughs> oh yes. Yeah, yeah, it's not the it's not the center of sympathy. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> right. But what I like about our program at the college is that we will be able to keep our deacons in house, mm -hmm. and so we need deacons do a great service in the house. They they mm -hmm. they serve their brothers who are ill. They do liturgical uh, preaching, adoration. They're a role model. They're a role model too. So we're going to keep our deacons and we can give them that fifth year can be great formation. It won't be like the first four years. They have a lot more freedom. They can go out in parishes. But I believe we can have the best prepared deacons to be ordained priests mm -hmm. in the United States. Now, I think people may be wondering this too. And then I want to segue to your recent visit with Pope Francis because I know the mm -hmm. Pope had met with the whole college. But so when a man is ready for ordination in this new structure, 
is there still the option to be ordained in Rome, like with the class, or is it now envisioned that everyone would be ordained in their individual diocese? We have to be flexible. So the vision is that we will still ordain men in Rome, um, and that's still up to the bishop. So right now, this past year, we had everyone in the fourth year was ordained a deacon in Rome. That's unusual. Usually there's somebody ordained over the summer yep. or in his pastoral year or something yeah. if he's gone back for right. a year. But uh, then they'll still be ordained probably in May at in, at St. Peter's Basilica. Right. But some bishops may want to call a guy back in December. All right, so that it. hasn't changed as much. No, that won't change. And we have to be very, very flexible with this new PPF. And, right. and I've told bishops that, right. that we will, be, we will work with you because in the end, Yes, I'm in charge of their formation, but in the end, they belong to the bishop in the diocese. Yep. So the bishop calls the shots. So there's a board of bishops, isn't there? Or, or is yes, there... we have a board of yeah. 14 uh, bishops. Yeah. So they basically kind of are the voice piece for the bishops of the United. They brought mm -hmm. bishops in the United States. Yep. And I really work for them in a sense. And I, I you know, they uh, they approve. Let's this. think about that now. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> they, they approve this plan if the vocational synthesis and the, yeah. But the new PPF, I got to say, Bishop, is really it's it's going to be. Um, it's beautiful. There will be some challenges as we implement it. There's no question about mm -hmm. it. But some of the greatest things, it, it stresses community. It stresses fraternity. It stresses friendship with Jesus Christ. And the best line from the Ratio Fundamentalis, which on which this is based, is that a man must know himself and make himself known. And that is the key to seminary formation. You must know yourself and make yourself known because the church has a right to know whom she's ordaining. Absolutely. And if a man... I said, put that on your mirror in your room. I mean, if you really live that and you're honest with your spiritual director, your formation advisors, you're transparent, you have nothing to worry about and the Lord will guide right. you and, and you'll be fine. Uh, but you must know yourself and make yourself known. And that is the key. And I think you as, as by personality, by the priest that you are, and now of course in your position as rector, you set the tone. And I think you are setting the tone at the North American. I, I, when I was there for for, I guess it was your installation. Mm. And you were there how many months? Two, three at that point? Three, yes. Yeah, and I have never seen a rector get a standing ovation from seminarians. <laughs> and it was, uh, and I'm not exaggerating, three, four minutes? So, I mean, you're making a tremendous difference in creating that tone because in a sense, to say that makes sense, but if the context really doesn't allow it. That's right. It's That's just right. theoretical. Well, right. the, yeah, the PPF says the rector sets the tone. And so I try to set the tone. I tell the yeah. guys, I'm the spiritual father of the house, and they can come to me and talk to me as they would any father. And they yeah. do. They come talk to me about their struggles, their joys, their excitement. Um, and that's really important. So I think it's a healthy, I know it's a healthy house and a happy house and uh, not perfect. No seminary is perfect, right? But we, we have a very good good thing yeah. there. Yeah. So tell me about the visit with Pope Francis. So Pope Francis, we've been twice actually. So last January, I got a letter from his secretary who invited the whole seminary and our, our formation team as well to go visit him over at the papal uh, palace. And that was a great visit. Um, and then this past, uh, I guess it was August, we had the the new men had just arrived, the, the new men are the first year class, and we had 29 men coming over. So I asked the Pope secretary if he would just acknowledge the first year class during the Angelus, the Sunday Angelus from the window, just say, welcome to North American College, the new students. He said, better than that, the Pope would like to have you come over and meet him before the Angelus. So imagine these guys, some of these guys were in Rome four days and they're walking through the Swiss guard, around the gardens, through the papal palace, up the stairs, the Bernini staircases. And they met Pope Francis and he met every guy one by one and asked his name, and asked his diocese, 
And I was standing there, he would, they wanted me to stand next to the Pope. So I was so proud as, as a spiritual father that these guys are so happy to meet Pope Francis and he was happy to meet them. And it was a wonderful, joyful uh, oh meeting. Gosh, just that alone, talk about an introduction to a whole new life. And that's the fifth dimension that Rome is, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a, and what a way to start your time as a seminarian when the successor of Peter looks you in the eye, shakes mm -hmm. your hand and says, you know, welcome Joe. Mm -hmm. All right, now may I ask you a personal question? Sure. So you were in Rome as a student. Yes. Then you were in Rome serving the Congregation for Bishops. Yes. Now you were in Rome again, <laughs> yes. right, um, as rector. Right. So how is the city different from the first days of Thomas Power as a seminarian to now living in Rome? How has the city itself changed? You know Rome, Bishop. Mm -hmm. um, in some ways it doesn't change. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, I mean, we talked about some just technology, different things that change with, with time, right? Uh, but my goodness, the streets look almost the same as they did in 1993 when I got there. St. Peter's doesn't change. Uh, the, it's the, just cleaner. It's just cleaner. Cleaned the it's cleaner. <laughs> and the city would be cleaner than it was in 93, I think. Wow. And, and in fact, they're, <laughs> and they're cleaning it up now for the Jubilee year in 2025. Oh, you're going to have 20 some odd million people come. We're going to have a lot of visitors. We already do. We have, we have hundreds that come through the college every week, uh, but we're going to have probably thousands coming through every month, I would say, um, mm -hmm. for the Jubilee year. And for, for the Jubilee year, we're going to clean our facade. And that's what you do in Rome. When you have a Jubilee year, you clean your cupola, you clean your facade, you clean your churches, you clean your buildings, and we're going to do the same thing at the college. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so it's it. Some ways it doesn't change. For example, I I don't go out a lot to meals because I want to be present with the guys, and and I've been there for seventeen years, so I've been I've done all that. So I went out with uh, the the rector of the, of the Angelicum and a couple of the priests uh, about two weeks ago, and it was a restaurant I had not been to in ten years. I walked in, Bishop. It was like it had never changed. It was the same four people, the same menu. Everything, and they looked at me as they said, "Oh, welcome back." They thought I'd never left. So, and again, in some ways, Rome does change, but in some ways, Rome does not yeah. change. You know what I find? What's interesting? When I was there last, and this is not the only time this has happened, where I see the greatest change in a place that seems to be unchangeable, is how entrance into St. Peter's now, mm -hmm. <clears throat> with yes. all the security that didn't exist. Well, of course, you need it now, but it's. It's changed the complexion of it being a place where there would have been easy entrance into the Lord's house, but now you got to get online, you got to get go through the metal detectors, you got to get your bags searched, right? Unfortunately, that's that's part of all of all cities now, right? Yeah. And so all the major basilicas, there's actually soldiers out front, and, yeah. and the lines are longer. That's that's just kind of the world in which we yeah. live. So so the piazza has changed in complexion too, because it was just like people roaming around, which happens at night still, mm -hmm. like yes. when, the, when the basilica is closed, it's, it gives that same feel. Right. But now, and the other thing that I've noticed, now maybe I'm wrong, I'm often wrong, but who's coming to St. Peter's seems to be different. So there are many more people who are coming from countries in Asia now. Mm-hmm. Then I remember when I was there, when we were mostly Europeans and Americans, and right. it, did you sense that too? <clears throat> Absolutely, yes, yeah. And it's by season. It kind of the Americans are summer, and then the Germans come in the fall, and then the Asians come right now in the wintertime. So it's, um, yeah, definitely, it's, it's a worldwide experience. Yeah. Many, many more people are coming. You hear every single language right. under the sun in Rome. And my guess is that a lot of those who are coming 
are Catholics or Christians, mm -hmm. but there must be a significant portion of individuals now Absolutely. that are not Christian. Absolutely, and they, they see St. Peter's as more of a, a monument yeah. or a museum. But the hope is that you go in and maybe the Holy Spirit plants a seed, who knows? Yes, right? I, and I've, I've said uh, before, I, I wish the Holy See would have something in, for the people in line, a QR code or something just saying, who's Jesus, who's St. Peter, why are you here? Why is oh, this here? Oh, oh yeah, well, basics, that's a great idea. Basics, I floated that idea recently, so I, I hope we can do that. Oh, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Your favorite time of the year in Rome is? Um, Advent. Right now, it's coming now. Coming up, So yes. tell me why. I, I like Advent, love Advent. Um, and I think in Rome, it's a time when here, you know, I've already, see, I've already seen Christmas lights and- Oh, please, I just got my first <laughs> Christmas card from a bishop. <laughs> it's not even Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> so I've already seen Christmas lights here, but uh, in Rome, they live Advent. So you don't really see the Christmas lights and things. And you do a little bit, but uh, you know, of course, St. Peter's puts it up early because it's enjoyable the week before. And you have so many tourists. Tourists, right. But um, really you live Advent and you kind of have this expectation of the birth and the coming of Christ. So I, I really enjoy that in Rome. No, it's funny. It's my. It's I. I equally agree. And of course, I've lived only there for five years. But walking Piazza Navona before Christmas mm -hmm. is beautiful. Beautiful because of all the little bancarelles, I call them, right. and they sell the panettone. That's right. And all, yeah, little Christmas advent booths and things. and all, and the nativity scenes. Oh, that you beautiful. could buy. Oh my gosh! And the churches are open. They have all their nativity scenes for the public to see. Yeah, which is interesting, right? So that's another difference. So here in the United States, I think because of of the culture in which we live, Christmas is Christmas tree. It's decorations, it's greens, it's the evergreens, it's the lights, and that's all part of it, obviously. But in Italy, the focus, it seems to me, is much more on the crash. Mm -hmm. on the scene, that takes such great prominence in churches, and some of them are just magnificent. magnificent. Right, yeah, is that fair. fair? That's fair, and of course, the first crash scene was uh, St. Francis in Italy. I in Assisi, right? yeah. And of course, I was a student priest, I was a seminarian, so I would go home for Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. So I was one of the renegades that didn't stay <laughs> at Christmas, and I went home. So I, I do all my Christmas shopping in Italy too. Sure, right. And you go up and down those side streets, you go buy the lithograph prints and then have them framed. And people love them yeah, as they gifts. Do. And they're like, there's thousands of them. <laughs> the guy, I think I, put, I gave him his pension <laughs> in the years I lived there. <laughs> the amount of money I spent no, it's there. it's a special place, especially during Advent. It really is. Yeah. And the crowds have been immense. I think it's you know post-COVID and just people want to travel. And, and Rome has been packed since... Uh, you know, since last uh, spring. What about COVID? Is that still an issue or no? No. In fact, uh, they, Italians tell me they will never go back and live the way they lived during the COVID period. Well, I don't think here either. Yeah. I, 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 I could not ever imagine us reliving those horrible months that we no. had to go through. And I think it was even worse in Italy, in some parts of Italy. Was it really? I think so, yes, yeah. I mean, they, yeah. They, you could not leave your apartment. You couldn't leave your property without permission. What? Oh, yes. It was uh, even our How'd seminarians. You get food? We had, that was part of the permission. You had time, you can go to the supermarket, the pharmacy, maybe walk wow. your pet, but you couldn't, uh, you couldn't be out. Yeah, really. because I think in the end, apart from the disruption, well, again, I've said this on my podcast before, and it may be a bit controversial, but I think COVID also was a great moment of uh, bringing what was hidden in the church so, to the forefront. Mm. So lots of people have not come back. We have to ask, ask ourselves why, but the fact that we're asking that question 
right, is important. Good question. Yes. So that we could uh, we could finally address some of the root causes of what's going on. And religious habit is one of them because habit is good, but it's not good enough because it's it's a venue to to create a real personal deep relationship with the Lord. If that doesn't exist, then after a year of not going to mass, you're not going to come back to mass. So that's, right. so that's the challenge there. But but I think in the end, it's also a grace. Because it was, I think I see it as the final purification we've gone through. So these young men that you are forming who are going to become our future priests are coming into an opportunity that is now ready for the renewal that we want in the church, the rebirth, right? The new life. Yes. And you know, Bishop, this new class this year, not a few of them, it was during COVID that they started to buckle down, pray for the first time, read, uh, start, start watching Mass online. So COVID in some ways was the catalyst to bring some of these men Isn't forward. Isn't that interesting? Amazing, amazing. Yeah, it's interesting what looks like to, and it is, and that doesn't look, it was a suffering. But the Christian revelation is from suffering comes life. So we yeah. lived it societally, but the damage done for the isolation, the loneliness, the anxieties, right. yes. there was, yeah, we're, we're beginning to live through that. When the bishops met, and you were at the conference, right, for, mm -hmm. for part of it, one of the items we talked about was the mental health crisis that we're living as a, That's as a right. country. Yeah which disproportionately affects young people. Wow. Well, I mean, uh, I miss you from here. Everybody here misses you. Miss you, you too. Right? Do. But you are, if, if there's a place in the, in the church that you, your gifts and talents can be used, it's there at the North American College. It really is. I, in many ways, you were made for this moment of leadership, seriously. So don't let us down for a while. <laughs> 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 which which I, will not happen. But it's, yeah, I mean, because the future leadership of the church, as in any seminary, is in your hands and your brother rectors. That's right. Right? That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Bishop. I miss you too, and thanks for your prayers and support. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, and you look great, thank God, for people who can't see you. Thank God. So it's agreeing with you, so I'm glad <laughs> to see that. All right, let's take one more break and come back with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency has been speaking with Monsignor Thomas Powers, the rector of the Pontifical North American College. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Matt Sparazza from The Tangent. Each week on The Tangent, my co-host, Father Sam Kachuba, and I go on tangents to show how intertwined the Catholic faith and our culture really are. With guests like Scott Hahn, Dr. Greg Pitaro, Kristalina Everett, and so many more, The Tangent is always entertaining and informative. Check us out on Fridays at 12.30 on 103.9 FM, 1350 AM, anytime on the Veritas app, or wherever you get your podcasts. God bless. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency, here is this week's listener question. Uh, the listener asks, do you have weekly or monthly regular meetings with the priests, deacons, sisters of the diocese, or only if an issue arises, or only by email? It's all of the above. So there is a weekly email to pastoral leadership, um, the pastors, and most of the time the rest of the clergy. But we meet like we meet fairly often for different reasons. We have now a, a, an annual convocation, spiritual growth. We are inaugurating ministerial workshops for the priests and deacons. The presbyterate meets with me twice a year. The 
pastors meet with me twice a year for business and for the presbytery for other issues. So, but you can't ask too much of, how many people have full-time responsibilities in their parishes? And, and a lot of them are already now have difficulty meeting. There's, there's more demand than time. So to call people together personally, plus Zoom is great, but to, it, it, there's gotta be, you can't just do it just for the sake of doing it. So we do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and hopefully it all ends up <laughs> correctly. <laughs> Makes sense. So if you, have a bis- uh, if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media. Or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evan- Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Monsignor Powers, what a treat having you here today, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Steve. Thank Tom, you, Bishop. Monsignor, thank you for your great work. Excellency, before we go, would you please give us a blessing? Yeah, I'd be happy to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of our faith, of our church, and for the opportunity to know, come, and serve you. And so we ask that you send your special blessings upon Monsignor Powers and upon the men of the North American College. Bless Monsignor in his spiritual fatherhood, guiding and forming these men into the image of your son, the priest. And bless the men in their journey of formation. Allow them to open their minds and their hearts and their wills to your will and your desire for them to be good, holy, faithful, and healthy priests. May your Spirit come upon us all and bless us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, my friend. And listen, and a happy and a blessed Thanksgiving to you, Steve, and to your family. I'm seeing you too as well. We'll be back at the North American. And to all our listeners, right, may you have a happy, healthy, and joyful Thanksgiving. Thanks, 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 Thanks,